0: Do I, Do I lift up my soul unto the old Lord? The old Lord. Do I lift up my soul? there we go I know I'm fixing to do it all right if you are here tonight and uh, you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning if you want to go back to the little chapel they'll take care of you you'll be served at this time all right books of the Bible how many books are there 66 how many in the Old Testament 29 how many in the New Testament 27 what's the first book in the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, yes. Judges, Rick, First Samuel, seven, six, six, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Thomas, Philemon, Jesus, Hebrews, Jesus, James, 1 Peter, 1 John. Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible. Give our money to who? Good. Good. We give our money to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. We give our money to the Lord, showing Him our love. God set judges over Israel, one by 14 men. Fight their battles, let them battle. Here, you say believe. believe. Right. I believe. Repent. Confess. I say okay. I say okay. Be baptized. Be okay. okay. Live faithfully. Excellent. To Excellent. Alright, let's do the shorter version, right? Do this one thing every day. What are you going to do every single day out of what? Four? Five. No. going to be leading our song in just a minute for us to go to class and what? I said the Lord said I did. You didn't go take it? Go take it now if you need to. Yes. All right. I don't know who's worse off me or JT. We'll have to figure that out later. All right. We are so happy that you're here tonight we're starting a new quarter uh for sundays in our teaching program we've got an outstanding setup uh, of classes and i hope you'll take advantage of that but there are some updates we want you to take note of in particular visitation team members pick your up pick up your may assignments uh at the visitor center in the foyer also there's a very important super saturday meeting immediately following our classes tonight in the Little Chapel. This is for anybody that wants to be involved in this in any way. So please meet in the Little Chapel after services. And I do want to remind the golden circle of your lunch that is coming up this coming Tuesday at 1130. So before Braden uh, comes and leads us in a song, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you bow with me? our merciful and kind heavenly father we are so grateful for all that you do for us we are mindful of your goodness and your mercy toward us father there are many people we know that are sick those that need our prayers we uh, pray particularly for the dawson family at this time there are others father who've experienced the loss of loved ones we pray for them and the grief that they're experiencing father we pray that you'll bless our bible classes tonight maybe may we listen with attentive hearts May we learn some things that we can apply to our life. Father, help us to resolve that we're going to be that shining light for you this week uh, in light of everybody that we see and that we'll be a positive influence uh, everywhere we go. May we glorify you in all things, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I will be singing I Fly Away 851. I Fly Away 851, the first verse. Mm-hmm. Some All right, we are happy. I'm happy that all of you are here tonight and we're going to uh, begin this class uh, on the subject of marriage. And uh, exactly where we're going to go is still up, but I've got a direction that I want to go. It depends on the amount of time that we have to get where I want to go. We're going to start out by emphasizing the roots of a happy marriage and how important that is and how our marriages can be successful, and to remind married couples of God's blueprint for a happy marriage. That's how we're going to begin. And I appreciate y'all for being a part of this class. I hope that uh, you'll feel free to speak up as we go. You can interrupt me, you can ask questions anytime. Uh, I want you to feel like you can do that. And so please, please do that. Understand this is your class, it's not my class. And I want you to speak up whenever you've got something that you feel like uh, that needs to be said or if there's some kind of questions. Uh, Before we get started, though, I want us to begin with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we ask your blessings upon our class tonight as we begin our study of marriage. May we respect and understand the principles of marriage that are found in your word, Father, and May we endeavor as husbands and wives, or maybe future husbands and wives, may we endeavor to follow the blueprint that you set forth for us in your word. We pray that you'll bless our study. And Father, we pray that you'd bless those that are sick at this time, those that need our prayers. There are many that need our prayers and encouragement. We pray that you would be with each one. You know their needs, Father. And Father, please bless us as we endeavor to... Uh, try to serve you and help us to glorify you in all things. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Four-year-old Jamie had just been told the story of Snow White for the very first time. And with uh, with, uh, wide-eyed excitement, she retold the story of Snow White that she had heard to her attentive mother. And after explaining to her mother how Prince Charming had arrived on a beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Jamie asked, and and Mom, do you know what happened next? And Mom said, yes, they lived happily ever after. And Jamie kind of got a frown on her face and said, no, Mom, they got married. (laughs) So somebody said there are three rings in marriage. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's the suffering. I don't know if that's true or not. But sadly, that's how many look at marriage today, don't they? Uh, marriage takes a, a, a pretty good hit uh, in Hollywood today. Uh, marriage is God would have it is not well respected at all. And it's tragic that little Jamie's response reflects the attitude that many have toward marriage. However, the Bible recants such a notion as that, declaring that the marriage relationship can be a bud of which heaven is the blossom. And I think that can be true if we will humbly follow uh, the Bible's instructions for us to have a happy marriage. And so we're gonna talk about uh, how we can have a happy marriage marriage and, and how we develop that and arrive at that. And first of all, as we think about this idea of having a happy marriage, we need to realize the proper foundation is important for a happy marriage. Now, a foundation is important for anything that's going to survive, right? You've got to have the right foundation. You know, our, our kids seeing, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? Rains descended, the floods came, winds blew, beat upon that house. And what happened? It stood, for it was founded on the rock. But the foolish man, he didn't have the proper foundation, did he? He built his house upon the sand. And what happened when the rains came and the floods came? You know, uh, the house fell because it was not founded on that solid foundation. What is the proper foundation for a happy marriage? God. God. That's exactly right. Uh, the focus must be on God. And uh, that is a lot easier said than done. I think a lot of people would acknowledge the fact that, you know, our focus needs to be on God when they get married, but how many put that into practice, you know, as they go through their relationship? You know, the marriage relationship was instituted by God. I want to look at a couple of passages here. First of all, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. I think these may be up there. Uh, some of them will be. By the way, that's just a, an additional point right there I was going to make in the outset. Whoso finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor from the Lord. A wife is a good thing, right? And uh, husbands know if you've got a good wife how valuable that wife is. But let's look at Genesis 2 and Verse 24. God speaking here, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, as we think about the fact that marriage was instituted by God, you turn over to Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse four, and Jesus speaking here said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate or put asunder. And so... Who initiated the first marriage? Who invented marriage? God. All right? And that's the focus. It must be on God. The foundation must be on God. And as a result, happy marriages always have God as its foundation. Now, first of all, this priority is going to be manifested by the fact that every decision that's made in our marriages whether relationally or physically or uh, spiritually or financially or vocationally, these principles are going to be based upon what God has revealed in his word. You know, sometimes when a husband and wife get married, you know, they still hang around and maybe have relationships with other people that, perhaps they shouldn't have relationships uh, before they were married. Uh, You know, uh, sometimes they forget that they're married to one another and they owe each other a certain amount of time and so forth. They want to kind of spend their time like they did before they were married and still single, right? You know, you just can't do that anymore. It's no longer, you know, me and my, it's our, you know. And so when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our spirituality, for example, I, I think this is why it's so important for uh, two individuals to marry a Christian when they get married. Uh, because I've seen it happen time and time again where, you know, maybe uh, when they have children, the mom goes to one church, dad goes to another church. And what does that do to the children? It leaves them confused. And uh, uh, when it comes to our spirituality, we need to be on the same page. Our focus needs to be on God. It's going to be on the promises and the principles revealed in God's Word. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 tells us that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Secondly, though, we're going to prove that God is the focal point of our marriages by treating each other the way the Word of God tells us to teach and to treat one another. Uh, you know, there's a way that husbands and wives need to treat each other and the love that they have one toward another. If a, uh, a guy has been real physical and overbearing uh, when they're dating, maybe he's even been physical to the point of being physically abusive from time to time, if he loses his temper, that's not just gonna go away when you get married, right? A lot of people make that mistake. A lot of people think, well, this will get better once we get married. It's not going to get any better. It may get worse. Now, as you think about the principles God's revealed in the Bible, look at 2 Timothy chapter, uh, let me see here, Ephesians 5 and verse 23. A very familiar passage talking about the love of husbands and wives. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And how much did Christ love the church? He He gave himself for her. All right. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies." He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ the church because we are members of his body. So what's the Lord saying here? You know, it's just natural that we love and care for ourselves, right? And a husband is to treat his wife like he would want to be treated. He is to love his wife just like he would love his own self. Whatever he would do for himself, he now does for his wife. He looks out for her best interest rather than what he wants. Now, selfishness is the cause of most marital difficulties. That's just plain and simple. Uh, I find myself in trouble quite often. And when I find myself in trouble in marriage, you know what the root cause of it is? It's what I want that I didn't get, you know. It's my own selfishness. You know, I was out for me and what I wanted rather than what might be better for her or uh, a better outcome for both of us. And sometimes when we start pursuing our own selfish interests, that's where we're going to experience problems. Now he goes on to say here, Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife see that she reverence or respects her husband. And so, if we're going to let God be the focal point of our marriages... We're going to prove that he's the focal point by treating each other the way that the Bible says and God says we need to treat one another. In other words, uh, it's no longer me, it's us, and I need to put your interest even above my own. Also, thirdly, our purpose and goals and direction in life will provide evidence that God is the foundation of our marriages. Now, when it comes to our goals in life, you know, a young couple gets married, they have their goals, don't they? What do those goals consist of? Well, one day maybe, you know, we'd like to purchase our own house. You know, one day we want to have children and things of that nature. We want to try to establish, you know, good jobs and Uh, be stable economically and on and on the uh, process goes here. But whatever purpose or goal or direction in life that we have, we need to demonstrate that God is the foundation of whatever we do. We make decisions based upon what's good for God, what's good for the church, what's good for our families spiritually, first of all, before any other factor is taken into consideration. And so as 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9 uh, implies and says, our aim is to please God in all things. We want to please God. And so a husband and wife that has God as the focus, as the foundation, will always make those decisions first and foremost with the idea, what is going to please God? And so that's the proper foundation. And when we think about that, it focuses on God. Secondly, a happy marriage will always be cemented with love. Love is vital in a marriage relationship. Psychologists will tell us that man has two basic needs in life. We all have two basic needs. We need to be loved by somebody and we need to love someone. Marriage meets those needs psychologically, don't they? It allows us to give of ourselves and love somebody with our whole being. In return, it allows us to also be loved as well, just like Ephesians 5 and verse 25 that we just read. Husbands, love your wives up to the point that you will give yourself for her just as Christ gave himself for the church. And of course, uh, the love that solidifies a marriage is always unconditional. Now, we're all familiar with that great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, it begins by talking about the importance of love. And then it talks about beginning in verse four, how, how love acts, how love behaves. How does it behave? Love is patient and kind, does not envy. It's not puffed up, it's not selfish. You know, we, we know all uh, that passage and what it means that, that love acts in this way. This is how love behaves. Love uh, believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. And so the love that solidifies a marriage is unconditional love. And it is expressive like God's love. How did God express his love to us? How did he show us he loved us? John 3 and verse 16, right? The golden text of the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only love begotten son. And so if we love our spouses, we're going to be willing to give just like God was willing to give. And so marriage fulfills both of those needs. It's an unconditional love and it's always expressed. You know, married love is best characterized by what the Greeks called agape love. We've always heard that term, right? Agape love. Agape love is not an, a feeling or emotion. Agape love is not a feeling that you feel when you feel that you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. You know, you know that's when you're all tied up in knots over this girl or guy, right? You feel this feeling that you feel that you've never felt before and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it's the Hallmark type mentality. The next Hallmark movie I'll watch will be my first, but uh, that's beside the point. Uh, But, you know, love is not based upon emotion, agape love. Agape love, rather, is the exercise of one's will to seek what's best for the other person. And it's important that husbands and wives have that agape love one toward another. See, I've made the decision, and nothing's going to change that decision, that I'm going to love you no matter what no matter how much we change physically. And it's shocking sometimes to see how you look when you were young. And now you see a picture, you look in the mirror, what in the world happened, you know? Uh, you know, we, we grow in our love for one another. Our love increases. It doesn't decrease. Uh, in spite of all the changes or the health issues that may come our way in a marriage relationship, love is going to grow. It's a decision of the will, someone said that agape love is not something that happens to you it's something that you make happen and that's a lot of truth in that okay it's something that you make happen i think this little story illustrates this everyone had wanted to know aunt jane and uncle tom's formula for a happy marriage And those who knew this couple knew and were aware of how loving they were despite multiple misfortunes they had experienced throughout their lives. Uh, Tom was uh, partially crippled as a result of a childhood illness. Jane's father had died when she was young and her brother had died unexpectedly after returning from overseas. And two, Tom and Jane had even delayed their wedding to Uh, for several years to allow Jane to care for her terminally ill mother living in another state. And finally, when they did marry in their late 40s, their hope of having children ended with a miscarriage. And several years later, Jane underwent treatment for cancer. Tom developed a serious uh, debilitating eye problem. Uh, Finally, Tom lost his job, and he went without employment for an extended period of time, thus ending their dream of owning their forever home. And when they were in their late 60s, though, they visited some friends. And these friends, wanting to treat Tom and Jane royally, their hosts made sure the breakfast menu included all their favorites. And knowing whenever Tom uh, went to the bakery, Tom would always purchase glazed donuts. Whenever Jane went to the bakery she would always purchase big cinnamon rolls. It was then that they figured out the formula for a happy marriage. What did that? Well, when they brought in uh, the doughnuts and the big cinnamon rolls you know, Tom reached for the cinnamon roll Jane reached for the doughnut. You see, they knew that Each one got the opposite for the other all through the years. And so this couple that had them as company realized that they were always selfless toward one another. Whatever they did, they always tried to do what was best for the other person. And I think that's important uh, in our marriage relationships and to build a proper marriage. Now, I want us to look at the Greek words that describe marital love for just a moment. Love encompasses really four different ideas. There's four ideas in the original language that describe marital love. First of all, there's the word eros or erotic love. It describes the sexual relationship. I know I emphasized in our teen class uh, when I taught them uh, last class, semester or last year toward the end of the year, uh, we talked about sexuality, morality, and purity. And uh, we emphasized that the sexual relationship in the context of marriage as God would have it is not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. It needs to be viewed as a healthy relationship. And so the word Eros, or exotic love. The sexual relationship certainly plays a role in marriage. There's the word storge that talks about relational love when it describes the feelings one has towards your relatives. You know, we always say blood's thicker than water. And uh, so there's the storge love. There's also phileo. That's friendship love, which describes an affection resulting from someone's admiration you know husbands and wives ought to be good friends together right there needs to be that phileo but then there's agape that i believe kind of ties it all together agape is a self-giving love Uh, it describes a deliberate choice made for the well-being of one another Uh, one time a uh a man wanted to visit with a preacher. He was having some problems in his marriage, and uh, he confessed to the preacher that he just really didn't love his wife anymore. He just didn't love her, and he went on to talk about how he thought he had found somebody else that he really, really loved, and uh, he wanted to know what he ought to do and. Ah, the preacher really didn't give him the answer that he wanted to hear. The preacher said to him, what you need to do is repent and start loving your wife again. And that was the right advice, right? You know, the emotion may not be there all the time, right? But you can still love your wife no matter what. You can love your husband no matter what because love is self-giving. It's a deliberate choice made for the well-being of another person and so we've talked about here the proper foundation of a happy marriage it has to focus on love it has to focus on god god has to be the foundation of this relationship it must be cemented by by love and uh, that's the basis that's the foundation that will allow our marriages to grow and to flourish. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We all know that we do. But we can be faithful, right? And uh, we can endeavor to grow in our love one toward another. Quickly, though, as we kind of introduce our idea of marriage tonight, what are the biblical purposes of a happy marriage? You know, why did God even invent this thing called marriage? Uh, Y'all remember the little rascals and other cartoons like that they always had the girl haters club and the boy haters club we're never going to get married we'll sign a pact or whatever and then what was that Darla remember Darla got in there on alfalfa or whatever and got his attention kind of blew that apart that mentality Y'all, you, how many of y'all even know what I'm talking about the little rascals so I just remember that you know they had the women haters club we're never going to we're going to stay away from women they'll ruin our lives and then Oh, wow, a waffle. He meets. He gets. He meets Darla. You know, kind of that kind of changes things, and he gets kind of in a between a rock and a hard place. Right when the other guys catch him, kind of, you know, uh, being nice to Darla and wanting her affections and so forth. But anyhow, why did God invent marriage? Why does God allow marriage? First of all, marriage is to provide companionship. It's to provide companionship. God, after seeing uh, Adam's loneliness, he made an announcement in Genesis 2 and verse 18. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so how are we going to solve this problem? It's not good that man should be alone. What are we going to do about that? He then determined to make him a helper, verse 18, comparable to him. Now the word translated helper means to complement or to complete another. Uh, The marriage relationship was not conceived by man. It was not conceived for his own expedience, but rather it originated in the mind of God for man's happiness and for man's benefit. Now, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, if you want to look there in verses 18 beginning, uh, notice what the Bible says about God and why he made the relationship of marriage for man's benefit. The Bible says, Then the Lord said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord had formed man, every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beast of the field. It's just amazing to me to read this, right? How he came up with all these names. You know, a cow. Why is a cow a cow? Well, it's a cow because that's what maybe Adam named it. All right. And uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with the flesh. This is the first operation, you know, we ever read about in the Bible. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one Now, Eve was the perfect companion. God made Eve out of Adam's rib. And it's important for us to understand that God did this for man's benefit and for his own happiness. It's no marvel then that the Bible refers to marriage in Hebrews 13 verse 4 as an honorable union. Marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled. It's a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. It's sealed by God and it can only be dissolved by God, Matthew 19, verse 6. The marriage relationship offers a man or a, and a woman a mooring post to stabilize their emotions, to satisfy their physical needs, to provide a sense of direction for their lives. What's a mooring post? Anybody know? A mooring post. M-O-O-R-I-N-G. Something, you know, that's steady. You tie a big boat to, right? You put there and that keeps the boat steady and stable. Even when the winds come and, and, and the waves come. Uh, it's a mooring post. It stabilizes the boat. Well, God's given man... Marriage, the marriage relationship, as a mooring post, if you please, to stabilize their emotions and to satisfy their physical needs and to provide for the proper direction in their lives. Someone has said that when marriage does not contribute to the happiness and to the well being of those that are involved, it's not serving the purpose for which God intended. So, God intended for marriage to help man to be happy. God made marriage to contribute to the well-being of all those parties involved. That's one of the purposes of marriage. Secondly, marriage is also for the purpose of procreation. Bible says God instructed the first married couple, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. You know, I think that ought to be the motto of us today. You know, I love it when the church is full of babies. You know, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. We, we need to have a lot more babies than we have here, right? We've got a lot of them, but we need more, right? We need to be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. Some are doing a good job at this. Others have, need to step up a little bit, right? And, uh, and do that. But uh, that's why God created marriage for procreation. Uh, Psalms 127, verse 3 and 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. You know, I always thought when I was growing up, we watched the Waltons on Thursday night when I was growing up. Anybody here ever watch the Waltons? I, I always loved the Waltons on Thursday night. I always thought it'd be nice one day when I got older and got married, it'd be nice to have kids like them, you know, seven kids, well, after two, we was about done, right? And the third one was kind of an accident, you know, later on. And that was sure going to end it right there. You know, once you uh, get outnumbered, you've got to go to a zone defense. That's just about all you can do. Now, I don't know what Lauren and them's going to do. They're going to have four here pretty soon. I can't imagine having five or six or whatever. But, you know, the Bible says here, and I think it's true, happy, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. There may be some difficulties that arise with having a lot of children, but boy, what a blessing they can be, right? As they get older and and all. And uh, the joy that they bring to our hearts. And so uh, marriage is for the purpose of procreation. Now the Bible says, I think it's 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4, I would that the younger women marry and what? and bear children. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4. That's the order of it. I think we've got that messed up a lot, uh, don't we, as far as the order. Uh, Let me uh, see if I can read that real quick. It says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Nowadays, that order is not respected, right? Right? If you keep up with athletics and sports like I do, a lot of these guys in college have several children with maybe different moms, right? They're not married, they're conceived out of wedlock. That just seems to be the way things are done today for whatever reason. You know, people have children and then maybe later on they'll decide perhaps to get married or whatever. But the order that God ordains it, I I would that the younger women marry and then bear children. That's the ordained order. Uh, That's how God wants it to be there. And so when uh, we think about marriage for the purpose of procreation, two people that love one another, they decide to have a child, bring that child into this world, that's what God would have them to do. Also, thirdly though, Marriage prevents, and this is the purpose of it, marriage prevents the sin of immorality. Now all sin, I don't care what it is, is a violation of God's revealed will. All unrighteousness is sin, 1 John 3 and verse 4. The revelation of God comm- commands that we abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, as well in other places, that these lusts of the flesh are to be avoided. We are to abstain from those things. And when Paul wrote uh, these words of guidance, we need to understand that uh, religions, uh, the pagan religions... uh, Positively viewed uh, religious prostitution, you know, and their worship of these pagan gods, and you no, know, it, it wasn't uh, an uncommon thing for a, a husband to be unfaithful to his wife, and this is something kind of new for the culture there that uh, Paul wrote to, and so Paul says, you know, to prevent the sin of immorality, we need to abstain from it. And we can do that through the avenue of marriage. However, the sexual relationship between the husband and the wife was created by God for their mutual uh, gratification. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for just a moment, verses 1 through 5. Paul talks about this, and I want you to look at that. When he talks about the sexual relationship being created by God. He said in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So Paul apparently is answering some of their concerns here, right? He said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In other words, it would be better off, folks, if you were just like me, right? Just to abstain from it. But Paul said, realistically, that that just can't be the case. You know, He said, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. But he he said, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, how do you handle this? Each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to the husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority of his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, Paul understood through inspiration that the sex drive in human beings, particularly men, was very, very strong. And here Paul gives God's explanation of how to satisfy that sex drive. He says that the sexual relationship between husband and wife was created by God and it was created for their mutual gratification. And back over in Genesis chapter 2, God declared this to be good. So there's nothing wrong. There's nothing dirty or heinous about the sex drive that God has given human beings. Uh, And and we're not going to dwell on this a, a whole lot here. But just to say the satisfaction of that sex drive must be fulfilled through the relationship of marriage. And now you look and see what is going on in our world today. Men and women are waiting much longer to get married, right? The average age of marriage today, I think, is 28 or 29 for a woman and a man. They're waiting longer. Now what happens when people wait longer? What do they do about that sex drive that they have? Well, look what's going on in our world today, right? You know, people are living together. They ignore what God says about how to fulfill those gratifications and so forth. Uh, We live in a world that's just gone crazy, hadn't we, Uh, over that? And so uh, we're waiting longer and longer, and sometimes it's not good to wait. Sometimes, Jesus, (laughs) Paul said, you know, from God, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. You got to get married, right? And let that be it. And, uh, and uh, some people, well, you need to wait a little while. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Uh, I'm not going to say what age you need to be or so forth. And You need to plan things out. And you need to be able to you know, exercise self-control. But God gave us these urges. And he also made a way for us to fulfill those urges. And God declared these things uh, for our good. And so scripture affirms that marriage is honorable in all, and the marriage bed is undefiled. It's pure, Hebrews 13, verse 4. But he says, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Heterosexual sin is just as wrong as homosexual sin. All fornication, all sexual immorality is sinful in the eyes of God. And uh, we need to be aware of that and understand that. And so that's the biblical purposes of a happy marriage. Marriage is to provide companionship, Marriage is for the purpose of procreation. Marriage is to prevent the sin of immorality. And so thus far, we've looked at the foundation of a happy marriage. It's got to focus on God, right? Has to be cemented by love. We've looked at the purposes of a happy marriage, to provide companionship and to uh, procreate the earth, so to speak, and also to avoid the sin of, of immorality. Now, why I want us to begin, and I, I've got times about up, but I want us to begin and think about the requisites of a happy marriage. And I want to read this verse before we leave tonight in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife And they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Between now and next week, I want you to think about this idea of what's involved in leaving and cleaving. And what happens when we don't do that as the Bible teaches when we don't leave our parents as we should. We're going to talk about that, Lord willing, uh, next week and uh, how important it is to be joined to our spouse and our allegiance is to our spouse now and no longer to our parents. So we're going to emphasize those two words that rhyme, leave and cleave. The permanence of marriage, the commitment of marriage that's vital for the success of a happy marriage and we'll talk about that lord willing next week anybody got any questions those kids aren't coming out yet but they will anytime anybody got any questions or comments to add to this tonight feel free to speak up anybody nobody at all no observations or advice anybody got any good advice no, I don't Eve yeah, didn't even, uh trust uh, uh, that when he came in and went to, sleep at night, I went to sleep and to sleep, she his ribs. Yeah. So, uh, Adam. I, Eve didn't trust Adam. You know, when he'd go to sleep he'd he'd count. She she'd count his ribs, right? Is that what you she said? She'd always count his ribs. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. All right, thank y'all so much for your attentiveness tonight. We'll go into get more detail with this as we go further. Thank you for your attention.